0: well as you might have guessed today we come to part two of our new study at the movies the great series and today we're going to be looking at a very special segment of the word of god known as the great sacrifice If you haven't already taken your study guide out if you would grab it you'll find it in your bulletin received on the way in the door this morning you'll find it to be helpful as we make our way through this study we're going to be looking at this very important segment called the great sacrifice and honestly probably we all have a concept of what it is to sacrifice Uh, for some it's on a very small scale for others it's on a huge scale for some of us we know what sacrifice is because at one point or another in our lives we've given up the last doctor pepper in the refrigerator because someone else wanted it it's a great sacrifice isn't it but then others of us, you've sacrificed to a whole nother degree that most of us will never understand and, in fact, hope we never have to. And that is that you have put your life in harm's way through the military or through the police department or through the fire department. You know what it is to put yourself in danger, in jeopardy to protect others. And some of you, even to a larger scale, because you know what it is to have given up a son or a daughter in the military or in the police department or in the fire department you've sacrificed your child or your parent or someone in your family for the sake of someone else you know exactly what that means so today we want to look at the great sacrifice now All of these sacrifices to the individual, the relative to the individual, these are big sacrifices for the people who have given up a loved one. This is a huge sacrifice. But what I want to do today is take you to the great sacrifice. To the one that exceeds even those that we have mentioned this morning and other things. And and I know that in your mind you may not be able to understand that concept that this sacrifice would be greater but the only thing I ask for you to do is give me a chance to prove that to you today. Just give me an opportunity to work through our study and to show you from Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 why this is in fact the great sacrifice. So if you would just be open to what I have to say today. Allow me to work through it. And then if at the end we, st- we disagree on something, then that's fine. If you want to come and talk to me about it, i will be glad to, to spend that time with you. Maybe we can resolve the situation. But otherwise, just listen and open your heart and allow me to prove through the study that God's sacrifice exceeds even those that are most troubling and most heartfelt. In our lives in this day and time. Would you do that? So, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 shows us an incredible verse about the great sacrifice. It's broken down into three phrases, and these are the three phrases with which we'll make our study this morning. It begins with an introduction to what's going to take place in the rest of the verse when he says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us. But God demonstrates, shows His own love toward us. And then He goes to the second part in that while we were still sinners. And then the third part, Christ died for us. So let's read it without the interruption one more time. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let's break this down and break it apart and get an understanding of the great sacrifice. Number one, if you've got your study guide, get ready to write. Because here in the introduction to the remaining part of the verse, we find that it was the greatest demonstration of love possible it was the greatest demonstration of love possible. And why do we say that? Because it was God doing something that he did not have to do, that he was not forced to do, was doing something for those that did not deserve what he was doing, could not afford what he was doing, could not earn what he was doing. This was in fact the greatest demonstration of love that was possible. God extending to us the great sacrifice. He tells us in the first part of verse, God demonstrates his own love toward us. A couple of thoughts that I wish you would jot down. And first of all is that this wasn't something that happened on the spur of the moment. In fact, what we're going to see is that it was prophesied. Prophesied means that it was told long before or at least before the situation occurred. In this case, we find that throughout the entire Old Testament that there was a continuous ongoing theme that the Messiah was coming, the Son of God would come and sacrifice Himself. In fact, we know from the Word of God that even before the worlds were formed, God had already put His plan into motion. God had already established in his mind. It wasn't that God said to Jesus, son, I want you to go to earth and I want you to live among the people and we'll just figure it out as we go. I want you to go down and I want you to live and as things happen, then we'll just plan what's going to take place next from there. And it wasn't that Jesus was on earth and all of a sudden people got riled up against him because of the great things he was doing, because of the way he was speaking. And they decided that they were going to crucify him. And God told Jesus, son, just go with that. We can use it. No. In fact, it was a plan that was formed before the world began. In fact, if you look back through the pages of the Bible you can find in the Old Testament prophecies from thousands of years before the time of the crucifixion that Jesus Christ would die and it was told with such incredible accuracy that it cannot be denied. One such example is the verses you find listed from Psalm 22. We could have literally put the entire chapter here. But I decided for time's sake that we would just throw certain verses in. Verse 1, for example, we find the exact words Jesus uttered on the cross of Calvary. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verses 6-8, through but I am a worm and not a man scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Verses 12 through 18. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls from Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their. Their prey open, their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shirt. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. And we see with such accuracy the prophecy is laid out before the people and before us in our day and time to understand that this was not a spur of the moment thing. That this is what God had planned. That God would demonstrate his love in the greatest possible way by putting his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary to die in our place. What an incredible demonstration of love. And so we see that it was prophesied. But the second thing I want you to write down is that it wasn't just prophecy. It wasn't just prophecy. Now the reason I say that is because in the olden times, and in fact even in our day and time, there are people who claim to be speaking on behalf of God. They claim to be prophets for God and yet they are proved to be false prophets because what they claim for their speaking on behalf of God never comes to pass. And so their claim is not validated through what they say and as a result it never comes true. But this is not the case for the writer of this passage. It's not the case for the prophets found in the Old Testament. Because what we find is that it happening exactly as it is foretold. Such an amazing thing that the, the, those who were writing the prophecy, receiving information beforehand from God, may not have even known what they were writing. May not have even understood what they were writing. It certainly appears to us in some instances that it was like they were standing on a plateau looking over to another plateau. And there on that plateau was Jesus Christ returning, coming to the earth, and establishing His kingdom for a thousand years, the thousand-year reign of Christ. And what was happening was that they were looking past the deep valley which included the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that they couldn't see it. And even though they were writing the prophecy, even though they had received it from God, they couldn't understand such an incredible demonstration of love. It was impossible for them to totally comprehend that the Son of God would come to this earth to die for people. And who's ever heard of something like that? And it is in this first part of the passage, the introduction, that we see the greatest demonstration of love possible. This then brings us to the second part. Your second fill in says this. It was also the greatest substitution possible. And what I would add to this, it was the greatest substitution for man possible. That this sacrifice, the great sacrifice, was the greatest substitution for man that was possible. We find the very last phrase of the verse, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Substitution is a person or thing acting on behalf or serving on behalf of someone else. Here in this case Jesus stepping out of heaven to take our place, to step into our place. You see, here's a couple of things you can write in if you'd like. Number one, or letter A, is that death was the the verdict for the crimes which I had committed against God. Death was the verdict for the crimes which I have committed against God. Death was the verdict. You see... Sin, which the Bible says that we have all done, we've all sinned, no one is exempted from this, we've all sinned and therefore we fall short of God's glorious standard. Sin requires a payment and that payment is death. Now what is sin? Sin is literally rebellion against God. It's us breaking the commandments of God. God has told us in the Bible that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Which one of us could say that we've done that 24 hours a day, seven days a week throughout our lives? None of us. And therefore we see that we have broken the commandment of God. It also tells us to love our neighbor even as we love ourselves. How many of us could say that we've done that throughout our entire lives? None of us. Therefore, we've broken the commandment of God. The Bible says that we are not to steal, we are not to kill, we are not to bear false witness, we are not to commit adultery. Jesus expanded on this thought when he said, if you even look at someone of the opposite sex with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with them already. How many of us could stand up and truthfully say, we've never broken those parts of the law? You may say, well, I haven't broken some of them. The problem is, the law is one. Breaking it in any part means that it's broken. So that if I've broken it in a small way, or I've broken all of it all the way through, it's still broken. Therefore, I fall into the category of all men have become sinners. We are all sinners. And therefore, we fall short of God's glorious standard. And what is God's glorious standard? The standard by which I get into heaven, into eternal life on my own. What is God's glorious standard? It is nothing less than perfection. So then without perfection, I do not enter into eternal life on my own. I can't get there. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. I can't afford it. I cannot get into eternal life on my own because I have broken God's commandments and therefore I fall short of. Of the standard which is required to get there. Which puts me in an incredibly difficult situation. Because the option to going into eternal life is going into eternal death. When I leave this life and I step into the next through death's door, there are only one of two places a person ends up. I will either end up in the presence of Jesus Christ where I will be for all of eternity or I will end up in hell which will eventually be cast into the lake of fire at the great white throne judgment and there I will spend eternity paying the price of my own sin. I will never, never, never escape and my payment will never be satisfied. And yet, in his remarkable kindness, Jesus stepped into our place. Jesus became the substitution. That I should pay for my own sin. And yet Jesus stepped into my place and said, Allow me to take that penalty for you. Allow me to pay the price that you owe. Allow me to pay the price that you should rightfully be due. Allow me to pay that price for you. This was, in fact, the greatest substitution possible. Second thing you can write in was in an incredible act of mercy. Jesus stepped into our place. Jesus stepped in to our place. There is a remarkable movie that's based upon books by C.S. Lewis. And in fact, in this first movie, The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, through the Chronicles of Narnia, there is a scene that shows very clearly the depiction of the king dying for his people. And in fact, it is a, 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 a duplication of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it, it's done in its own way. C.S. Lewis had a way of, of putting it into imagery that people could, could not miss. It was just meant to be imagery that would draw people right into the scene and right into the moment. And this scene that we're going to show you illustrates then the sacrifice, the substitution of one taking the place of others. Now I need to tell you something up front because C.S. Lewis was trying to depict the underworld here. And he was trying to show the ugliness of those who would be demons for Satan, who would work for Satan, who were working to achieve the death of God's Son. And so some of the images, although we've brought a lot of them out, Jason has worked hard to bring a lot of those out, there are still some of the images that you may may deem disturbing. And in fact, if you're not used to seeing things like this, then you may, in fact, find some of the pictures to be scary. So I'm giving you a warning ahead of time. If you want to close your eyes, you want to cover the eyes of your children, if they haven't seen the movie, then then the warning is out there for you. Otherwise, please watch and see how graphically it describes the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I think by all this that you could save the human traitor. You are giving me your life. I'm saving no one. So much for love. just picture how the demons of hell were rejoicing thinking that they had won the battle that they had literally killed God's son even as she said you're going to die today and you're going to save no one but little did the enemy know that this was part of God's plan Little did the enemy know that this was exactly what God had laid out before the world had been formed. That Jesus Christ would die a death to pay the price of those who could not pay that price for themselves. What an incredible thought. And when we consider the thought that it was our punishment, that it was what we deserved to pay, that justice would have been totally rendered proper, had we stepped in and died for ourselves, Jesus, in fact, became the substitution for us. In thinking about this in that way, we have to quickly then move to the third point. And I wish once you write this in that you would keep your notes out until we're completely finished because there's some other things I want you to write down. And that is that we see in this particular verse that it was the greatest injustice possible. And let me add this, the greatest injustice to Jesus possible. The greatest injustice to Jesus possible. Because the verse says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's important to understand, and you can write this in if you'd like, that Jesus did not deserve to die. I mean, had He deserved to die, it would not be injustice. Had He been in violation of God's law, had He rebelled against His Father, it would be easy to say He deserved to die just like we do. And yet Jesus was perfect. He had never sinned. He had never rebelled against God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, summing this up so well, you might want to write the reference down, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He said, God made Christ, who never sinned, To be the offering for our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. Let me read it again. God made Christ. Who never sinned. To be the offering for our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. What a horrible injustice. That Jesus Christ who was completely innocent. Would die For those of us who aren't. But while Jesus did not deserve to die. The second thing you can write in. Is that we did. We did. We deserved the death. We deserved the punishment. We deserve eternal separation from God, eternal damnation. We deserve that because we are sinners. We have broken God's law. Justice would be served well if we stepped into the place of paying for our own sin. But Christ, who never sinned, became the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus took upon Himself what we deserve, our punishment, so that we could take upon ourselves what we do not deserve, His righteousness. He took upon Himself what He did not deserve, our punishment, So that we could take upon ourselves what we do not deserve, his righteousness. It's a horrible trade for Christ, except that he was obedient to the plan of Almighty God and thereby brought by his sacrifice the opportunity for us to be forgiven. The opportunity for us to enter into newness of life. The opportunity for us to enter into eternal life. And bypass the wrath and judgment of Almighty God upon our sin. Injustice? Absolutely. But I am so thankful that Jesus died for me willingly anyway. That he still went to the cross because without his sacrifice, there is no hope for me. Without his sacrifice, I am doomed because I do not achieve the level of perfection that's required to get into eternal life. But thank God, through the great sacrifice, I have been extended an opportunity to know what real forgiveness is. An opportunity to enter into the presence of Jesus Christ when I die. And there I will be forever. And so this morning, I want to extend to you the same information that brought about a life-changing, eternity-changing experience in my life. And that is that Jesus Christ loved you so much that He took your place in death. That He literally took the sin of the world upon Himself and there paid the price of God's wrath upon that sin. He died in my place died in your place. And today, if you feel God drawing you to Himself, I'm inviting you to respond to the Savior. What does that look like? In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. Jason will come and eventually he will lead us in what we call an invitational song it's just an invitation for you to respond to the message while you're standing I'm going to invite you to step to the aisle that's closest to you and just come and meet me at the front I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to point you out, I'm not going to call your name but I will have someone who is skilled and trained in God's Word to show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now so the invitation is very clear If you do not know Christ as your Savior, you stand under the wrath of God. But Jesus died to pay that wrath for you so that you could be forgiven and enter into eternal life when you die. And so this morning, I'm inviting you to come and to learn more about what Jesus did on your behalf and how you can enter into the family of God. Would you this morning come to the Savior.